Good morning, church. This is one of those Sundays when we have a couple of sick families, we notice it. But today, I, yeah, today is one of those days where I just go, wow. What we're going to look at in Scripture is, it's unbelievable. And it's, it's powerful. So if you would turn with me to begin with Luke 11. Luke 11. And... I honestly believe this, that these next couple weeks, what we are going to look at in Scripture, I believe this is going to be the turning point of our church. Not because I've been here for a year, not because of our location, we've had many turning points in the history of this church. Once in Bremerton, now we're here, maybe we'll go another place, we kind of have no place to be. But I honestly believe that we are now at the phase of the turning point of our church. Luke 11, verse 1, is one of my favorite verses in Scripture. There's a certain phrase that I have, it's easy to memorize, but it's just, it's something that's on my lips all the time. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. I'd love to spend time on that. When he was finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. I would love to spend hours just on that first part. But the part we're going to look at for the next couple weeks is is what they say. Here they are, watching Jesus. They've been with Him for some time. He's been doing His thing. And He's kind of said, come, follow me. Come and be with me. And you'll see me do some stuff. And He's starting now to say, come and do it with me. But Jesus has always been praying in a certain place. He's got His routine. And when He finished, one of the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. What great words. What great words. And my prayer is that in these next couple weeks, as we approach Easter, that we would learn to pray. There are many models, many different theories, many different ways to grow a church, to be a church. But the foundation, I believe, must be prayer. And we all say that. We all believe, oh yeah, yeah. We... But we're going to look at some unbelievable stuff in Exodus. So turn to Exodus 32, 33, and 34. And I want to say that Exodus 32, 33, 34, this section, I hope that you've been reading it every day this past week. Hopefully a lot of questions come up. There's a lot of things where you just go, what, what is this about? What's, what's happening here? Uh, I've got some questions. 
Again, I ask you, read this section in one sitting. Don't just read a little section and forget the rest of the Bible. Then it'll be very confusing. Read, especially 32, 33, and 34 together. And the importance of this section on my life is incalculable. This... I'm realizing more and more that this section, these three chapters, I could spend the rest of my free time just researching and looking and seeing the connection in the New Testament. There's so much depth here. And we're going to look at something that will help shape the way we know God and walk with Him. So before we begin, let me pray. Lord, we thank You for today. We thank You that we get to come to church an hour early because it's a privilege to worship You. If it was the case, if we could in our schedules, we would gather every day. Wouldn't that be grand? Lord, we thank you for this time we get together. Be with those who are sick and not with us. May you touch their bodies and may they have family time together in your word. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you do your great, mighty work in our hearts as we look at this passage. And Lord... Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Amen. Amen. I remember walking out of a store, walking to the car, big parking lot. I had some groceries in my hand. Walking, and I I remember seeing uh, a t-shirt. I'm a t-shirt guy. You may not know that because I have button shirts on now. But I'm a t-shirt and jeans kind of a guy. So whenever there's a t-shirt, I always see a t-shirt and I kind of read it because t-shirts are billboards. I've got a lot of t-shirts that are billboards for certain things. And I remember my hands were full, the girls were behind me, so I was kind of in a rush. And I remember seeing this t-shirt, it was black, and the guy's hair was kind of just kind of goth looking, if that makes any sense to you. It was kind of dark, and I'm walking, and I remember the shirt said, Nothing fails like prayer. And I was like startled. I stopped, I was like, did I read that right? Nothing fails like prayer. And, and I, I turned, and I was like, it, it was almost took my breath away. I was like, what? And on the back of the shirt was a bunch of other stuff, and there was probably a band or something. And I just, I just stood there. My kids jammed into me because we were kind of going at it. They didn't expect me to stop. And I was just like, wow. I can't believe I saw that. And I remember going to the car, and I, and I put the bags away and, and got the kids in the, in the vehicle. And I just sat there thinking, should I go say, kids, you need to stay here. I'm going, Dad's going to go find this guy. And we're just going to, I'm just going to ask him what he thinks about that shirt. And, and I'm just like, I got the kids here. Amber's not with me. And then I just thought, wow, you know, a lot of Christians could wear that T-shirt. A lot of Christians could put that shirt on him because a lot of people, really, sometimes we think, yeah, we pray, but does it really, I don't, there's no, this is just, what is prayer? People in every religion pray. Is praying what, what it's about? Seriously, if you look at most religions, they pray. What is prayer? 
Let me say this for sure. Prayer, and I think one of the, the largest misconceptions we have in the church, in the, in the Western world, in America, is this. We think prayer is this grand, mysterious wishing well that we take our needs and concerns and throw them in there and go, Lord, do something, and we wait. That's, that's what it sounds like with a lot of our prayers. We have our needs and concerns. We just go, Lord, here, help me. Help me in this situation. And we just kind of go, and we kind of put up our hands in the air. Or we act like a vending machine. If I put this much time into it, this much effort, I'll memorize this many Bible verses, and then I'll pray, and I'll have a whole life, and then I hit this button, and cha-ching, it will come to me. Many people think this, and this is important. Many people think prayer is a means, a way to have God give us what we want. Let me say that again. Many people think prayer is a means, a way to have God give us what we want. Instead, prayer is a means that God uses to give us what He wants. Do you hear that? Let me say that again. Prayer is not a means, not a way to coerce God, to convince God to give us what we want. Prayer is a means, is a way that God uses to give us what He wants. And we're going to find that in Scripture today. We're going to find the beauty of prayer today. Simply put, Prayer is communication with God. In many ways, we could define prayer in, in, in many, many ways, many, many different terms. It's almost like prayer is like a diamond. If you just, many people just have a picture view of prayer. They just have a fold and they go, this is prayer, and it's very flat, and it's just, there's the diamond. Instead, prayer is the real diamond. There's so many different facets of prayer. But the simplest way, it's communication with God. Or, I would say this, and and, and maybe I'm just being picky with words, but uh, words are very important here. Listen to this. Prayer is not just talking to God. Some people think prayer is just talking to God. Prayer is talking with God. You hear the difference there? Prayer is talking with God. God. Not just to Him, but with Him. And there's many different types of prayers. There are requests. There are praise. And if you look through Scripture, there's many different types. There's confession. There's petitions. There's adoration. There's thanksgiving. And in fact, sometimes prayer is is God's response. But today we're going to look at one aspect, and that is intercession. What is intercession? In the scope of prayer, in, in all the, 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 under prayer, all the different aspects of prayer, there's praise, there, there's confession, adoration. One of the aspects is intercession. And we're going to look at that today and next week. In the scope of prayer, we have Intercession. And I've wrote this down. Most of our prayers are petitions. Lord, help me. 
Lord, sell my house in Wisconsin. Lord, could I have some play money? Because I really like that item over there. It doesn't fit her budget. Lord, help me in this time of need. Help me with this test. Help me with that person. They're petitions. Lord, please. Most of our prayers are petitions. And then we shift to intercession with a focus from our own needs to the needs and interests of others. One of my favorite books on prayer called No Easy Road by Dick Eastman. Find that book. I find it often at Goodwill or at thrift stores. No Easy Road. He says this, intercession is giving or sorry, intercession is placing a prayer emphasis on others rather than pleading for ourselves. It's not focused on me, it's focused on others. So what I want to do these next couple weeks is look at three aspects of intercession. And on the slide here you'll see these three aspects of intercession. And we're only going to focus on the first one this week. And at first these these sentences may not make sense, but we're going to expound upon them. I'm going to look at what Scripture says. And as, as I've wrestled with Scripture and, and wrestled through prayer and thought through this, these are the, the, the words and these are how I've kind of penned them out. So in the scope of prayer, intercession is one of the greatest confidences. We can be very confident. It's something that we can get with God. It's a confidence that we acquire when we're with the Lord. And a very important that is the word with. With God. It's a confidence that we acquire with God. The second one which we'll talk about next week is intercession is one of the greatest privileges we receive from God. Not only is intercession something that we are confident with the Lord, but it's something, it's a privilege that we receive from the Lord. And the last one, intercession is one of the greatest reliefs we can give someone. And as you noticed, I like to play with words. It's CPR to help you remember. Confidence, privilege, and relief. I just play with some words and so you kind of get this in there. Because listen, at times, you need to do CPR. Maybe you're not a medic like I was. There have been times, I'll never forget in the hospital, full arrest is coming in the ambulance. They bring someone in, no breathing, no heart. And I'm doing CPR. There's a time we need to intervene. And intercession is like that. Today we're just going to look at the first one. Before we do that, I want to ask this question. How do we learn about prayer? How do we learn about prayer? Let me say a couple things here. Number one, you have to do it. You can't just read about it. You have to do it. For many years, I was a lifeguard. Don't try to picture that in your brain. But I was a lifeguard for many years. When I took my class, it was not an online class where I just click, 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 and they mailed me the lifeguard. No, that, wouldn't that be foolish? How many of you went on a lifeguard that just went online and went click, 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 answered all the questions, and they're a lifeguard? No, you want someone that can swim, right? That can dive underwater, swim the whole length of the pool, pick up that heavy brick, and underwater swim and pop up and go, I can do it. You want someone that can go through the, right? 
with prayer, how do you learn? You have to do it. My kids, when they learn how to ride a bike, I can't just tell them, explain everything, the physics of it all and the engineering of the bike and just, okay, then you can... No, they have to learn. They have to get there and do it and sometimes fall. Many times we talk about prayer, but we must do it. And I get tired of prayer meetings and prayer conferences where it's 90% teaching and preaching about it and then, oh, let's, let's quick pray. I've been to places like that. I'm just like... Let's just pray. Let's, let's work on this. We have to do it. How do we learn about prayer? Doing it. Number two, I would say pray with others. Pray with others and learn from them. Listen to them. Listen to the saints of old. Read their prayers. Pray with others. If I want to learn to play guitar a little bit more, I play with those who are a little bit greater than I am so I can go, oh, that's how I do. Okay, no wonder. Pray with others. Third thing, read about prayer. When I was in seminary, one of my professors said, you go to any pastor's library, which we love books, you go to any pastor's library, the most common topic you'll find is prayer. And I remember I was going, Wow. Most pastors, the majority of their books will be about prayer. And then he began to talk about one of the reasons is because pastors struggle the most with prayer. Because they know the importance of it, but it's such a mystery sometimes. And they know the beauty of learning about prayer from the saints that have gone before them. Read about prayer. In a few weeks, we'll give you a list of some of the great books on prayer. I would say probably one of the most important ways to learn about prayer is this. Learn from the Word. Learn from the Word. And this is where most people do not turn to learn about prayer. I find that interesting. And this week, I have learned so much about prayer from this book. It almost makes me want to take a five-month brain leave on everything else and just study prayer through Scripture. If I could just drink some drink where I never sleep, and just, there's so much you can learn about prayer. And today, this is where we will learn from. So, turn to Exodus chapter 32. I'm going to read this section and we're going to walk through this section. Exodus 32, and we're going to read verses 9 through 14. Exodus 32, 9 through 14. Lord speaking here. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff necked people. Now, leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord, his God. O Lord, he said. 
Why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it is with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I'll give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. There is so much here. So let's begin. Verse 10. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. This week, I, I took a lot of time, and I just thought, okay, let's just deal with this section here. And, and, I, and I, I worked just on this verse, and I was, I was working on it and translating it. And in the Hebrew, it, it's a very beautiful sentence, like all the others. But there's, there's very characteristic things about this section here, this verse. And, and when I was working, I was like, wow! It's almost as though Moses is being tested. The, the verbs and the words here, God is saying, and, and it's so important to read this in the whole counsel of God. God is not saying, now leave me alone. I mean, some of you think of that when you hear those words because you, you echo, remember as a little boy, you're in trouble and you hear those words like, oh, I'm in trouble again. Now leave me alone and let my anger burn against them and I might destroy them. Lightning bolts and we think of a big Gandalf in heaven with a big beard. And... But it's not like that in the Hebrew. In many ways, the verse is an open door. In many ways, it's penned out in a way where the Lord says, Hey, here's what I'm laying out. What will you do with this? It's as though three things. Leave me alone. The question is, will you stand in the gap, Moses? Will you just go, Oh, I don't know what to do, and just run away? Your people are in desperate situation. Will you do something about it? My fierce anger. The question is this. Will you see only one aspect of me? So many times we do that in prayer, and we'll get this in a moment. We only see one characteristic of God. We only see one attribute of Him, and we just go, okay, that's it, and that's all I want to see. And We forget the holistic aspect of God. Will you only see one aspect, my fierce anger? And the last one, I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. Will you be the next Abraham? Do you want to be the patriarch instead of Abraham? Do you want to be the big honcho? The Lord lays out this test. Does he pass the test? As I said, the first line, intercession is one of the greatest confidences we can acquire with God. And Moses answers God's divine 
invitation to partner in prayer because he is confident in God. And I love how Moses answers this. The next slide, we're going to look at a few, three things. Three things that Moses turns to. Let's look at verse 11. The first one is this. Moses, his confidence is in what? The character of God. When this is so important. Let's look at verse 11, the first part. But Moses. That word there shows he just doesn't go, oh, hands in the pocket, it's judgment day, boo-hoo. But Moses. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. The key foundation for intercession is knowing the character of God. Please write that down. Remember that. Etch that into your memory. The key foundation to intercession is knowing the character of God. Often we see in the Bible, the saints, when they begin to pray, when turmoil is happening, when chaos is happening, the first thing they do in their prayers is what? they turn to the character of God. They rely on the character of God when they intercede. Moses has had 40 days intimacy with the Lord up on the mountain. 40 days he has been with the Lord as though he's face to face with them. He's he's there in the presence of God Almighty. Not only that, prior to that, we just went through Exodus, he has remembered that they've prayed and the Lord has heard their cry. He's gone through this. He's had the experience of Exodus 3, the burning bush. He's had all the plagues. He knows the character of God. He and all the people who see that, we can have this character of having the confidence Our prayers in the Lord. And listen to this. He gained great confidence in all his time and dealings with the Lord. If you want to have confidence in the Lord, spend time with him and see how he works. His confidence was in the character of God. In his confidence, he turns to what he knows of God. O Lord, he said, verse 11 again. Why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Here, just simply, and this is just one little section, he turns to what? His compassion. Lord, you're a compassionate God. These are your people. Remember, in the first couple chapters of Exodus, the Lord heard the cries of his people. He saw their needs. He heard their woes. God, you are a compassionate God. When he intercedes, he turns to the character of God. Compassion. He turns to the salvation. You brought them out with a mighty hand, with great works. You are a saving God. Turns to the character of God. He is a saving, mighty God. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. He's the Savior. 
The Lord will fight for his people. The Lord also is one who enters into human experience. He turns to the character of God. The people, this is so important, the people who have an intimacy with God have boldness to claim his character. The people who have intimacy with the Lord have a special boldness to claim his character because they know it. They can trust him. Remember the line, do you trust God? Depends on how well you know him. How do you know him? You walk with him in his word. The question comes, do we pass the test? Will you stand in the gap? Leave me alone. Will you stand in the gap? Many times we don't pray. There's nothing I can do. Hands in the pocket. Or as the phrase I hear often here in Washington, it is what it is. Not that it always means that, but so many times when I hear that, I just get this kind of feeling that people just go, my hands are in my pocket. It is what it is. There's nothing I can do. Leave me alone. Who will stand in the gap? And here it is. Listen to this. One of the main weaknesses of our prayers today is that we do not know the character of God. Thus, we do not trust Him and we are not bold to approach God. So many times when it comes to intercession, we just kind of go, Lord, help us! And we don't just begin with claiming and leaning on the character of God. That He's compassionate. That He's the God who saves that he enters into human experience. And that the issue is this, not that we will do it, but knowing that he will do it. That's what Moses does here. This, the focus isn't on Moses. And, and let me just say this, I'm amazed at how many books on intercession come out from certain denominations. This is, this is very unique about our society today. Most of the books on intercession comes from a particular denominational group that are all about, be bold, you're the warrior, you can do it, this is intercession, it's all about you, you're the one that's going to save them. What? From Scripture, that's not the case. Moses first begins by turning to the character of God. Secondly, what does he do? First, his confidence is in the character of God. Secondly, his confidence is in God upholding his reputation. Look at verse 12. Why should the Egyptians say, it is with evil intent that you brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. If the children of Israel are wiped out, there goes the fame of God's name. No more will his glory be, and his name will be a shame around the other nations. Moses turns to the confidence saying, Lord, you will uphold your reputation. And your name will be displayed in this great act that you are about to do. And I believe the main thrust of this passage is to show the grace of God through intercession which brings glory, fame, 
beauty to his name. And God will do that. So Moses turns to God's reputation. He knows that he will not be shamed. Moses passed the test, but do we? Do we pass the test? Oh, Moses, let these people be wiped out, and you'll be the one. You'll be the one who will be the next great one. It, you're, you'll be the glorified one. You'll be the next patriarch. Cody, go to that small little church. Teach them about prayer and you'll be a great pastor. Well, I pass the test. Many times we get this thought and we think, I'll be the hero in this situation. I look at the coolness. I'm the one who prays for you and it's because of my prayers this worked out for you pat me on the back. Moses doesn't give in to that. He turns to the fame and the glory of his name and the reputation of the Lord. The third thing that Moses does is first he turns to the character of God. He turns to the reputation of God. And lastly, his confidence is in the promises of God. Let me just pause here a second. Please, when you pray, think of these three things when you begin to pray. When you pray, turn to the character of God. Claim His character. State His character. Remember the glory of God and stand in the promises of God. Verse 13, what does Moses do? Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants and numbers. And he goes on. He goes back to Genesis. He says, remember your promises? It is not that the Lord needs a reminder of this. But it is that we need the reminder when we claim the promises of God, it's not that the Lord goes, oh, I forgot about that. Oh, golly gee willikers, I better get my, you know, my act together here. I forgot I made a promise. No, it's that we would remember his promises. Listen to this line. Laying hold of God's unfailing promises is one of the most important aspects in prayer. Let me say that again. Laying hold of God's unfailing promises is one of the most important aspects of prayer. And Moses could have easily did this. There's anger. I'm only going to see one aspect of you, Lord. Okay, yep, you are a just God. Remember chapter 19 where the Lord says, here is my covenant I'm going to make you. And all the people said, yes, if you do this, you'll be blessed. But if you don't, look out. Woe to you. And guess what? Last week, idolatry. Remember? Woe to them. So God would be just to condemn them forever, right? They even said, yes, we obey to that. We agree with that. But Moses could have only chose to look at one aspect of God, his justice. But he doesn't. He looks at the promises of God. Write this down. Remember this line if you can. This is so important when it comes to prayer. 
prayer is not a passive submission to the will of God. It is what it is. Prayer is not a passive submission to the will of God, but an active persistence that His will will prevail over all things. It is an active persistence that His will will prevail over all things. Lord, I know You're a God who said this, and I know You're a God, and we pray that Your will will prevail over all things. And Moses, he passes the test. He doesn't have a passive submission to His will, but an active persistence that His will prevails over all things. Do we pass the test? Do we turn to the promises of God in times of pain and suffering? Or when we see others suffering and intercession, do we pass the test? Will we only see one aspect of God? Here's one of the problems that we have. We pray what we think God should do and His answer should be. Oh, Lord, this is the way it should be done. This would be the best for Your glory. So heal this person right now. This past Friday, the Mercados were going to Bolivia. And if you know some other stories, it would be very likely that when he landed, he would be put into prison. And Friday night we gathered, a bunch of us in the church gathered for prayer, and we were interceding at the time when they were landing. I loved how we set a time and it just happened, that just happened, right? There's chance, right? No, there is no chance. And we were praying, and it was so, there was a part of my heart that just wanted to go, Lord, this is the best thing for you to do right now. You're just going to make them land. They're going to get cupcakes when they land. And it's going to be a big party and celebration. And the people who might have got paid, because it's just corrupt down there, the, the, people could get paid money and they could just get thrown in prison for, he could have been in prison for two years. Many times we only want to pray what we think God's answer should be and is. We need to hold on to His will. And often I pray this, Lord, if it's consistent with Your will, please give them cupcakes. But if not, Lord, Your will be done. What did Jesus pray when He was there? Praying, kneeling. Oh, this cup is so hard. But Your will. Your will. Hold on to the promises of God. His will. And here is where we fail the most. I'll just be honest with you. Most of you don't even know the promises of God. If I got a sheet of paper out and say, give me ten promises the Lord gives His children, those who believe in Him, those who are under the blood of Christ, give me ten of them. Some of you go, uh, whoa, what are the promises And you don't, that's no wonder so weak in prayer. Why are we weak? We don't have confidence in the character of God. We don't have confidence in that He is all about His glory. 
And we don't have confidence in the promise of God because we don't even know them. Because we're weak here, thus we're weak everywhere. But what's the result? Verse 14. When Moses turns to the character, to his reputation, and to his promises, we have verse 14. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he threatened. Now, this verse can really kind of tangle some people up, especially on the translation you use. And sometimes um, translations have certain words that may not be the best words for us to read sometimes. Because especially in this section, I was, if, if we had time, I was going to pull out different Bible translations and, and kind of thread them together and read 9 through 14 and read together. And, and if you would only read that section and not the whole counsel of God, you would be really confused. It would sound as though these words would imply that Moses is in control. God is up there with his hands kind of bound, waiting for Moses Oh, my judgment's here, so Moses, you better step in, because if you don't, they're all going to be zapped. Oh, but Moses stepped in and said, God, you do this, you do this, and God is bound to what Moses says, and God, well, my mind was this way, so I'm going to change my mind. I repent. I'm sorry, Moses. I will do what you say. That is not the case. Please know that. That is not the case. It's almost like Moses, if you could do some of those things, is Moses is, is in this cosmic arm wrestling match with God. I'm going to destroy all these people, let my anger burn against them. And Moses says, no, don't! And he puts his arm up, and he's got this big arm wrestling match, and he does this st- the Stallone over the top. Woo, I won! No one gets that except maybe two of you. <laughs> it's an old movie, Sylvester Stallone over the top. Anyone see that? No one. Okay, Two people, I was right. <laughs> this is not a cosmic arm wrestling match. Listen, prayer is not, oh God, you're there and I'm here, please don't do it. Oh! It's not that. I encourage you, when you read the Bible, when you study the Bible, get three translations in front of you. Get a very wooden, very literal word-for-word translation. And the best ones are out there, ESV and NASB. Get one of those when you're reading the Bible. Then I encourage you to get an NIV right in the middle. Get an NIV and read that one. Read the passage in, in the ESV, then go to the NIV. Then I encourage you to get the NLT. The NLT is great. Last fall or two falls ago when I translated through Romans, I had all the different translations out there when I was working on just to make sure I was like, oh, I messed up on that. The NLT would shine over and over again compared to the other translations and and the way it handled the passage in the text. So good. Get the three translations, read, and you won't get caught up into this cosmic arm wrestling match with the Lord. Again, read the whole context. Verse 14 alone can really trip some people up. Well, the Lord changed his mind. He repented. And Moses won the match. This is not at all 
what is here. And it's not, listen to this, some people even today think this, the future of God is unknown. It's open to Him. And He's dependent upon humans to help get that going. Not at all. Not at all. We have passages like Malachi 3.6 The Lord does not change, O you descendants. Or Numbers 23.19 He is not human, so He does not change His mind. Or 1 Samuel 15.29 In fact, as I've been digging into this, and I haven't done a full complete study yet, because I have to sleep a couple hours a night, Every time we hear this phrase where the Lord says, and the Lord changed his mind, or the Lord relented, or the Lord repented, or whatever translation issue is, almost every time it deals, listen to this, it deals with people in their sin, and God is about to bring judgment upon the people, and justice. And it's always followed by either the people repenting, or leaders interceding. And then that phrase pops up. He chooses not to do what he says he has the very right to do, justice. Listen to this. The change that happens is the move from justice to mercy. Remember that. God doesn't change his mind like, oh, okay, I'm going to... He goes beyond that. He's not just just, but he's also grace and mercy. So instead of just justice, which he has every right to do upon the people, he does more than that. So here's the line, write down, and we'll get to this in chapter 34. God is more than just. He is mercy and grace. He is more than just just. He is mercy and grace. And when we intercede for His people, when you intercede for your family members, we know that God in His justice, we all should be zapped. Amen? But He is more than just. He is mercy and grace. And we have confidence in His promises. We have confidence in His reputation. And we have confidence in His character. And what's the result? Mercy comes. The Lord relented and did not bring on His people the disaster He threatened. What's a disaster? Everyone dead. Everyone dead. But instead, only 3,000 die. Whoo! Isn't it funny to say that 3,000 die? Wow, that's a lot of grace. It is grace! This chapter has so much grace in it when you see that. But the story doesn't end here. Turn to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4. God would be just to condemn and destroy his people. Because they made a covenant vow with them. Chapter 19, we will do. Yes, we will follow. We will obey. And then the darkness of chapter 32, this idolatry, no longer to me becomes the darkest chapter in Scripture. 
It's beautiful because God is just, but He's more than just. He's mercy and grace. And this is a great picture of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4 was one of my favorite chapters as a little boy because of verse 12. Because as a boy, I like knives, swords, any sharp thing, and I have scars on my hands to prove that. Verse 12 was one of my favorite ones because I'm a freak about the word. Chapter 4, verse 12. Hopefully all of you have heard that, memorized that. I still have it memorized in the King James. I just, I just chap, verse 12 is great. And I remember then finally going, I'll read more than that. Because that's all I would read. Verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. And verse 16. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We, like Moses, because of Christ, we can be bold. We have intimacy with the Lord. We don't have to climb up some mountain and sit there 40 days and just go, oh, in the awe of God. Christ has come. He has torn the veil. And we have intimacy through Christ. And because we have that intimacy, He is the great high priest, we can come boldly with our stuff. Our confidence is in Him. Hebrews 7.25, turn there. Again, Christ is this great priest who has stood in the gap. And we'll talk about what that is like next week. Verse 25, Therefore He is able to save partially. Oh, no, it doesn't say partially. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Moses is just a small picture of intercession compared to the perfect picture, Christ. He intercedes for us. God is more than just. He is mercy and grace, especially seen in Christ. So look at me. Let me end with this. Intercession is one of the greatest confidences that we can have with God. You can be confident, not in your ability, not in your prayers, not in how much you can conjure up. It's not that. We're confident in Him. His character, His splendor and greatness seen especially in His reputation, His glory, and thirdly, His promises. When you pray, 
Pray according to those things and you will see God move in mighty ways. Let me pray.